Come Holy Spirit. Welcome Holy Spirit. Would you move in our hearts, Lord, even now, speak, give us ears to hear. Unclog our stuffed up ears so that we can hear your truth and your grace, that we can hear your will spoken to us. Give us ears to hear. Amen. Amen. Y'all got a Bible? You got a Bible? Pull out your Bible and open up to the book of Micah. Might be kind of hard to find. It's in the middle of your Bible to the right a little bit. It's a small book in the section of the prophets. So you might find Isaiah, Jeremiah. Those are big books. Keep going to the right and you'll find Micah. Micah chapter 6. We're going to be looking today primarily at one verse, but I want you to have your Bible because we're going to be uh, looking at a few verses in context this morning. Here's the question for today. What is good? What's good? What's good, church? What's good, Orangeburg? What is good? One of the first questions that Laurie and I would ask people when we first moved back home to Orangeburg. Now, some of y'all don't know, but I grew up in Orangeburg. All right, so I grew up here and graduated from high school here at Orangeburg Wilkinson, went off to college, met my wife, got married, had three kids, and then moved back. And that was a work of God, let me tell you. That was a, amen, Connie, amen. That was a work of God. Everyone who's moved to Orangeburg or moved back to Orangeburg knows that it is a work of God. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today. When I moved back to Orangeburg, one of the questions I started asking people was, what is good about Orangeburg? And from the bank executive to the man on the street, from the stay-at-home mom to the businesswoman, I got the same answer. You know what it was? What's good about Orangeburg? Starts with an N. Nothing. From the bank executive to the man on the street, from the stay-at-home mom to the businesswoman, I got the same answer over and over and over again. Nothing! Usually with their head down a little bit. Nothing. Brothers and sisters, there is a poverty of spirit in our community. There is a poverty of spirit in our community because we don't see anything good as a community in this place. So the question is, what is good? People only see what is not good, right? People only see what is not good. One of the things that I did when God was convicting me and calling me to Orangeburg to do ministry here was that I wanted to do a little research. You know, if you're ever going to go to a new place, you want to learn a little bit about that place, right? But I grew up here, but I didn't want to take that for granted. I didn't want to assume that I knew too much about Orangeburg, so I did some research. And I looked at demographics. I looked at who lives here. I looked at what kind of people lived here. I looked at who wants to live here. I looked at the economy. I looked at uh, the racial makeup of the community. I looked at all kinds of things. But one thing I did was I Googled Orangeburg. 
All right, and when I Googled Orangeburg, one of the first results that came up was an Instagram post that somebody made back in 2014, and I'm going to show it to you right now. This is the Instagram post. I don't know if you can see it. Some of you I've showed this before, but it, look at it. It has Columbia styling and profiling, Charleston looking all right, Spartanburg got that little smile, and then Orangeburg looking like first thing in the morning, maybe a mug shot, I don't know. What are people saying about Orangeburg on social media, this kind of thing? So what does that tell us? What's good? Nothing. Right? Y'all feel that? You feel that? Have you, have you experienced that here in Orangeburg? Have you experienced that feeling of nothing? That experience of being raggedy and unattractive and abused and worthless and meaningless and hopeless? Have you experienced that? Have you felt that here? I have. I've lived back here for, what, six years now. And I feel it. And I know you feel it too. What is good? One of the other things that Laurie and I did when God was calling us back to Orangeburg was to come to Orangeburg and to, and to basically do what I would call reconnaissance. Kingdom reconnaissance. And so what Laurie and I did in 2014 is we came down here for three days. Now my parents live here, so we could have stayed with them, but we decided let's not do that. Let's stay in a hotel. Let's pretend like we're, that we know nothing about Orangeburg, and let's just go around town and meet people and just see what is this place like. And so we went around town and we met people on the street and we asked them this question and we, and we walked and we prayed for the, for the city. We prayed for people that we met we spent three days doing this, and, and one of the people that we went and spoke to while we were here was the city administrator of Orangeburg. We went down to the city administrator's office, and we asked if we could have a meeting, and I guess not surprisingly, it was pretty easy to get a meeting with the city administrator of Orangeburg, and so Laurie and I are sitting there as this young couple uh, with young children ready to maybe move into Orangeburg, and I, and I pitched the question to the city administrator, what's good about Orangeburg? What do you love about Orangeburg? And he surprised me. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. He's the city administrator, right? He's going to say something good. But what he said was, he said, Orangeburg, what, one thing that's really good about it, he said, Orangeburg, people have a lot of bad things to say about Orangeburg. But he said, one thing that's really good is family. That people really are close to their families here. Family's important. He said, there's a lot of potential for economic growth in Orangeburg. He said, we're not there yet, but there's a lot of potential for economic growth. He said, you know, one thing a lot of people say is that people are kind, that there's, that there's people are willing to help their neighbors out. Now, I don't know how true that is, but that's what he said. And I thought, you know, that's the first different answer that I had received from the city administrator. But then he said this. He said, but you know what? I was like, no, stop. It's <laughs> like, that's good, stop. He said, but you know what? He said, and he didn't know anything about us. But he said, you know, one of the biggest problems we have in Orangeburg is all of these startup churches. 
He said, one of the biggest problems we have, I didn't ask him about church. I didn't bring it. I didn't bring up anything about that. I was a church, church pastor, nothing, right? He just volunteered. One of the biggest problems that we have right now are these startup churches. And I sort of swallowed my, my breath and I said, tell me more about that. <laughs> tell me more about that. And he did. He said, you know, churches come in and they, they don't add any value to the community. They just take. He said they they just take up real estate in the downtown sector, making it less attractive for restaurants and for other businesses. And he was serious. He's like, this is one of the biggest problems in Orangeburg. The city administrator sharing with this young white family moving into Orangeburg. That's when I knew that we had to come. And that's when I knew that we had to plant a church. Because if the city views church as one of the biggest problems, then Orangeburg will never experience the hope and the goodness that God wants for her. If churches are the problem, now look, was he accurate 100%? Of course not. He's got his perspective. But why was that the one thing he mentioned that was a problem? He probably doesn't know what half the churches in Orangeburg are doing, to be honest. But why doesn't he know? The presence of churches, brothers and sisters. And what I mean by churches is not a building, right? What do I mean by church? The people of God, right? What I mean by a church is the people of God. So hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm saying the church is the people of God. The presence of churches should be a blessing to the city. The presence of churches should lift up the hearts of the people. The presence of churches should help grow the economy even. The presence of churches should improve mental health. The presence of churches should be seen as what is good about Orangeburg. And so as we enter into 2022, I want to just kind of take a step back and think, why are we here? What is the point of being here? And why did Laurie and I answer this call? And why did many of you answer this call to come to Orangeburg? Or to stay in Orangeburg? Or to come back to Orangeburg? It's because God wants us to be a Micah 6-8 kind of church. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look. You got your Bible? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. The scripture says, he has, to- he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Let me read it one more time. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So what's the answer to what is good? It's what God has told you is good. That's what is good. What is good is what God says is good. Let me say that again. What's good is what God says is good. He has told you, O man, what is good, right? He has told you, oh man, what is good. So we don't have to wonder. We don't have to question. We don't have to look to Instagram or to economic possibilities. 
we can listen to what God has said is good. Because the rest of it is just noise. But what God has said is good is what we should look for to be good. And what God has said is good is what we're after. This is why God sent his prophet Micah. This is why God sent the other prophets to God's people. This is why we have a Bible, which is the prophetic word. Because God is telling us in his word, through the prophetic word and through the apostolic witness, what is what? Good, yeah. Jesus loved me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. What is good? What God says is good. Is good. Micah was written during a time of prosperity. But it was written during the reign of King Jotham and King Ahaz and King Hezekiah just before the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. And if you read through the entire book of Micah, which I, I, I've, I've done this week, read through the entire book of Micah, it's not long, it's only seven chapters, you'll see that God is calling out against oppression. God is calling out because, because the, the wealthy were oppressing the poor, robbing them of justice. Chapter 2, read it. Taking away their land without giving them anything in return. Robbery, theft, breaking the law of God. Kings and rulers were showing partiality to a certain class of people. And everybody else, it says that they're, they're, they were being skinned. That their skins were being ripped off of them. In other words, they were being abused and used. The poor were suffering. The faithful were suffering. There was no justice. There was no righteousness for all of God's people. Look with me in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I just want to show you where it is in Micah. This is going to be on the screen. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, where the prophet says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them. Houses take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Okay, so God is saying... This society, which is supposed to be God's kingdom, is unjust. This society is full of wickedness. And God points to their hearts, which are worshiping idols. And don't think of an idol as a little, you know, statue. Think of an idol as something in your heart that you worship instead of God. So what are some examples of idols that people you think might worship instead of God? Give me one. Hey, 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 there it is. Money, what else? Yep, maybe there are some, some, and you know what? All of those Roman and Greek gods, they represented things like wealth and prosperity and power, other things. Right? It says the power was in their hands because they were worshiping these false gods. And it says they not only devised evil schemes, but they carried them out. Why is nothing good in Orangeburg? A lot of the result of why Orangeburg is the way it is is because of these kinds of things, because of sin, right? In this community, not just individually, but collectively, right? There's, there's sinful patterns and habits and old patterns die 
hard. And and for God's people in the day of the prophet Micah, it meant that God was going to bring discipline to his people. It meant that the northern kingdom was going to go away into exile and many people would suffer because of their sin. Because they were living in the world that they created, not in what God said was good. Right? God gave his people Ten Commandments. God said, you shall not steal. But what are they doing? Robbing one another. God said, you shall not commit adultery. But what are they doing? They're taking a man's wife for their own. They're taking young girls and pulling them into harems. God says, you shall worship me alone. And they're worshiping all kinds of other gods, just like, just like we do. Just like we're tempted to do. God says, what is good? And he lists these three items in the scripture. And we're not going to take time to break them all down today because the next three sermons are going to take one of these each. Okay, So the next three weeks, we're going we're to look at justice. We're going to look at kindness. We're going to look at humility. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. Throughout Micah's prophecy are not only words of judgment, but interspersed are words of hope and words of grace. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 10. Where the prophet says, Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from your city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. You see, God was going to take away the northern kingdom into Assyria. And he was going to take away the southern kingdom into Babylon. Yet God says, even there, when you're being disciplined, even there when nothing seems good, I will redeem you. You see, even in the midst of the difficulty that God even allows into our lives, He promises grace. He promises that redemption. He promises He's going to buy His people back. Just a few sentences later after God says the word Babylon, he's, listen to this, a few sentences after God says Babylon, He says Bethlehem. Just a few sentences after God says Babylon, which means punishment, wrath, God says Bethlehem. And when God says Bethlehem in chapter 5, verse 2, He says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And we know the one who was born in Bethlehem, don't we? Jesus, the King who God promised to bring redemption, who would call people from exile back into a new kingdom, a new kingdom that he says will last forever. And who will be in this kingdom? It's not the mighty, it's not the powerful, it's the humble. That's why God says, walk humbly with your God. In, in Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, God says through the prophet, In that day, in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame, and I will gather those who have been driven away and those who have been afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off 
into a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. I want you to pull up that picture in your mind of the Instagram of Orangeburg. And that bottom right corner represents someone maybe who is afflicted. Someone who maybe is cast off. Or even to use this harsh word, lame. And what does God say? God says, you are the one that I'm going to build my kingdom with. God says, you are the one. You are the one that will be a kingdom of the poor in spirit. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. There it is right there. So y'all, this is good news. This is good news for Orangeburg. Right? It's good news for Orangeburg because we are right at the center of the possibility of where God wants to actually build his kingdom. Not in Spartanburg, not in Greenville, not in Charleston. Well, okay, there too. But right here. Right here. Among the poor in spirit. Among me and you. What is good? What God says is good. And then he says... And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? So what is good is not only what God says is good, but it's also what God does in us and what God requires in us. That's good. And that's why this this is a command, right? To do justice. To actually get out of your seat and do justice and Love, kindness, and actually walk humbly with your God. Right? To not just have a Sunday morning experience, right? But to actually go out of here and be this kind of person and this kind of family, this kind of church. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is how people who have been redeemed want to live. This is not a call to get on God's good side. See, God sent His grace into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to take on all of our, take on all of our weakness and to overcome. That's what Jesus did. He's the overcomer. He's the one who did what none of us have done or will do in our lives. He did it. And because he did it, God gives us grace in him. And when we trust him, when we put our faith in Jesus, we get to become people. Not we have to become people, but listen, we get to become people who do justice. We get to become people who love kindness and not wrath. We get to become people who walk humbly with God and not arrogantly like so many religious people. But God gives us the the delight and the joy to be this kind of believer. And so the question I want to leave us with today and and begin to answer is how? (laughs) How? How can we, New City Fellowship, little ragtag group of Christians, how can we be 
a Micah 6-8 kind of church in 2022? And this is a question that I've posed to some of you and to some of our advisory team folk. And we have prayed and we have sought the Lord over these. And I want to share with you today a map, a road map for how are we going to be this kind of church? How are we going to be the, the Micah 6-8 kind of church? And so this is an overview of it. You can't really see it. We're going to zoom into it, okay? But I just want to begin to walk through this roadmap of how are we going to be a Micah 6-8 kind of church? How are we going to do this? And, and, and it begins with this first step, which is to engage outsiders. That means we got to get outside these four walls. we got to be in the community. we got to be in the lives of people who don't know God we got to be in the lives of people who are downcast and hurt and broken. And that's us and it's our neighbors, right? we got to be out there. And so what we've decided to do is to set a goal to meet and connect with 500 new people this year. Everybody say 500. 500. Our goal is to meet and connect and engage with 500 new people in our community this year. Now, that will take a work of God for us to do that. But I want you to be praying about that and and, and thinking about that. That's not for me to do. That's for you to do. The church. To meet and engage with 500 new people. We're going to do some outreach events. We're going to serve in the community. And we want to be intentional as we're out in the community. You know, be intentional about meeting people. Meet, I mean, how many of you have actually met all of your neighbors? Do you know their names? One of the goals would be to, to meet a neighbor, meet, their, meet them, get to know their name, and begin to pray for that person. Maybe privately at first. And then to pray for them, ask them, what, what do you need? How can I pray for you? Right? Engage outsiders. That's the first, uh, the first stop on the map of how are we going to live out this strategy. The second step is to, or the second stop on the map is to evangelize seekers. Now, evangelize is, is a funny word, right? But what does that mean? It's actually the word that just means call someone to faith. To evangelize is to actually say, hey, you know what? You've been following these gods of the world for a long time, and, and like you said, they're, they're not actually doing it for you. They're actually letting you down. They're leading you to destruction. God wants to introduce you to a king who will actually give you life. Who will give you forgiveness and peace and hope. And so we call people to put their faith in Jesus. That's what evangelism is. So we evangelize seekers. Which means we need to have a way to bring people in. To connect with people. And so at our church, what we're going to do this year is we're going to um, we're going to have a modified house church experience this year. Okay? Now, in the past, we've had house church, which meets in homes over a meal, but we're going to modify it, and this year, on the first Sunday, starting in February, we're going to have a gathering at a home where we can all invite our neighbors and friends to gather at the home, and in that home meeting, we're going to intentionally bring up Jesus. And we're going to intentionally say, Have you ever given a thought to where your life is going? Have you ever given a thought to the disappointments of the past? And in some way, we want to connect people to faith, all right, in our house church meetings. We are also going to do, God has been 
gathering some ideas. And one of the ideas is to do a workshop or a roundtable in a public forum, maybe at the library, where we can gather people in to deal with an issue that's present in their lives. Maybe it has to do with their financial situation. Maybe it has to do with parenting. Maybe it has to do with experiencing trauma. And what we're going to do is we're going to connect the people who participate in that to Jesus through those experiences. And we are going to participate in those too. It's not just a project, but it's a participation. All right. So we're going to evangelize. And our goal this year is to receive 12 new members. Now, what's a member? A member is someone who says, I want to be in the family. I trust Jesus, and I want to be in the family. That's a member. We want to, we want to receive 12 new members this year. The next stop on our discipleship map, how are we going to be the kind of church that does justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly with God, is we're going to help establish believers in the faith. And so I know sometimes you come to Christ and you're like, I don't know what to do next. We want to, as a church, we want to help one another to grow in our relationship with God, to get established. And so we do, that's partly what Sunday morning is about. Sunday morning is like, you know, a, a, a pit stop along life's journey where you come and you rest from your weariness and you receive God's mercy again and you're reminded of his goodness and his truth and you're recharged. That's what Sunday morning is about. But we're also going to be doing, as you've heard about in the past, we're going to be doing growth groups, which are small groups of two to five people that will be digging into life and into the Word of God together for, for a period of time. And our goal would be to have 40 people involved in growth groups. That's a lot. There's not even 40 people in this room right now. But let's pray about that. God, could we have 40 people involved in, in the youth group growth group, in the college growth group, in the, the church growth groups that God will raise up so that people can be established in their faith and they can know how to pray and how to read the Bible and how to follow Jesus and how to walk humbly with God and how to do justice in their lives, right? That's what we want to do at establishing believers. And then the last stop, it's actually not the last stop, and I'll explain what I mean, but the, the next stop is to equip leaders, and so as God raises up people with gifts in the church, we want to be able to, to help you in your gift to put it into practice and to do what God has gifted you and called you to do. And sometimes we work in our gifting and sometimes we got to pray for gifting, right? Because sometimes God calls us to do something that we don't feel gifted at. That's why it's called a gift. Because it's not just your natural talent, it's what God gives you. God will give you the ability to maybe speak to a child in the nursery and speak truth to them. You may not feel like that's your gift, but maybe God will give you that gift to do that or whatever else God wants to do. And so through this, we hope to have a couple of weekend uh, Saturday conferences where we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about what, how do we uh, deploy these gifts in the church. We've done that before. We're going to keep doing it more intentionally this year. And we're going to form teams and crews where we have uh, teams of people working together toward a goal like serving the community. We're going to look around and see how can we be a blessing to Orangeburg. And then that team's job will be to dream. I say team's dream. 
Okay, the dream team, y'all get that? Teams dream. And so, and so a team is going to dream about what God wants to do in Orangeburg so that the city administrator at the beginning of 2023 is going to be able to say, you know what? Churches are a benefit here. There's good things happening. And there would be some tangible benefit that, that we can add value to our community by serving, by loving, through these teams. Teams dream. Crews do. All right? Crews do. A crew is a group of people dedicated to a task. And so one of the tasks that we have every Sunday is audiovisual. So we got two, uh, two people back there right now who are doing audiovisual. Amen. Let's give them a little hand real quick because they do good work. And so... And so, and so, you know, in a small church, a few people do a lot, right? And so but we, what we want to pray for and ask God as a goal to do as we equip leaders to serve is that we could expand our crews so that it's not just two people doing it, but that we might have four people doing it. So there's some kind of rotation, right? So you get to, to breathe and come into the worship service and not have to always be back behind the table. And there's people who count offering and who are praying for the church, and there's uh, different kinds of crews that we'll talk about uh, later at some point. All right? So equip leaders to serve. Engage outsiders. We want to connect with 500 people this year, new people. We want to evangelize seekers. We want to call people into an environment where they hear about Jesus. We want to establish believers in the faith through uh, Sunday morning, through our growth group ministry, that small group, Bible study, prayer. And then we want to equip leaders to operate in their gifts and to serve and to see what God will do among us this year to make us a people who really pursue what is good, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for telling us what is good. Thank you for giving us your word, the Bible, which, which, which clearly explains what is good, whether it's in your law or in the story of redemption and how you show mercy and kindness to sinners and how you overcame death and how you overcame sin by sending your only son Jesus to this world and how now you are applying that salvation to us through your Holy Spirit and how we get to live it out. We get to actually apply what you've done for us in Christ. And Lord, I pray that this year we would have hope, but not hope based in our circumstances, but hope based in the fact that we belong to you body and soul, life and death, and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, do this work in us. We want to see you move, God. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.